You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. And now, a message from Cyberbit. Mastering cybersecurity is like mastering a sport. You build muscle memory through rigorous practice. Then you train as a team to foster cohesion while operating under pressure. Like athletes, cybersecurity professionals thrive on hands-on simulation. But traditional courses, certifications, and open-source labs won't build you a winning team. You need Cyberbit. Cyberbit offers a hyper-realistic simulation environment for your SOC, IR, and C-suite to refine your skills. All using the market-leading SIMs, EDRs, firewalls, and WAFs they use every day. Cyberbit is offering CyberWire listeners a free live-fire exercise. Sign up your team now at cyberbit.com slash cyberwire. ICS experts continue to warn of grid vulnerability to hacking. AMD chip flaws are called real, but not very serious. Cambridge Analytica is under investigation in the UK. Facebook tries without much success so far to disentangle itself from Cambridge Analytica's use of Facebook data. President Putin wins re-election amid accusations of voting fraud. Former French President Sarkozy is in police custody over Libyan campaign contributions. And the Libyans want their money back, too. I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire Summary for Tuesday, March 20th, 2018. ICS security experts take the occasion of U.S. government warnings that Russian cyber operators are working against the U.S. power grid to reiterate their own warnings. Electrical generation and distribution systems remain dangerously vulnerable to attacks that could, in the worst case, induce catastrophic failure. Silence has determined that one of the ways attackers are getting access to utilities' networks is through compromised Cisco routers. They call out the Dragonfly Group as one of the threat actors involved with this particular attack vector. Dragonfly is widely believed to be a Russian government group. There's an emerging consensus on the AMD chip vulnerabilities that CTS Labs reported last week. Other researchers have looked at them and concluded that, while real, they don't really represent the sort of serious threats CTS said they did. Security firm Checkpoint, among the third parties who verified the vulnerabilities, is also among those who disagree with CTS Labs' hair-trigger detailed redacted disclosure, which Checkpoint calls very irresponsible. Those who thought Fusion GPS might represent the nadir of political consulting will be interested to see the further depths Cambridge Analytica is alleged by many media outlets to have plumbed. The London-based firm is reported to have at least discussed using sparrows and honey traps to compromise political targets. It also obtained data on some 50 million Facebook users. Cambridge Analytica categorically denies accusations of blackmail and improper use of data, although the company does at the very least seem to have engaged in some really indiscreet woofing. Ukrainian women are the best at entrapping men, things like that. Cambridge Analytica also says it questioned its clients closely about the ethical and legal dimensions of the work that Cambridge Analytica was asked to undertake. To borrow from the exchange between Hotspur and Owen Glendower in Henry IV Part One, why sure, you can question them, so can I, so can anyone. 
But when they answer, what will you do with their replies? Anywho, give them the benefit of the doubt, at least for the few remaining hours, until the information commissioner's office gets a warrant to toss their place of business. But between the steel dossier served up piping hot by Fusion GPS and the amazingly sleazy operational notions reported in the Cambridge Analytica affair, there seemed to be some remarkably creepy imaginations sloshing around in Greater London, and those imaginations appear to have found an eager American market because, hey, if that don't fetch them, then I don't know Arkansas. Cambridge Analytica's connection with Facebook has been very bad for Facebook, whose stock price was hammered in the market yesterday. The social media giant has booted the London analytics firm from its services. Facebook has insisted correctly that the problem isn't a data breach. It's an issue they became aware of, at least in part, as far back as 2015, and took some steps to distance themselves from. This isn't a trivial verbal distinction. Were the incident a data breach, Facebook would have found itself subject to various disclosure rules. Observers agree that it wasn't a data breach. Facebook wasn't hacked, nor were the data it held stolen or exposed in any of the usual ways. But most observers seem to think that what happened was worse than a simple breach. The data wasn't, as Motherboard puts it, a bug, but a feature. In its own defense, Facebook essentially said that Cambridge Analytica used data in ways it shouldn't. TechCrunch offered a useful gloss of the defense in the form of what it called a simplified timeline. First, Facebook deliberately allows developers to collect a bunch of data from users who authorize it, plus a bunch of their friends. But developers have to promise they won't use it in certain ways. Second, shady people take advantage of this choice and collect as much data as possible for use off the Facebook network in ways Facebook can't predict or control. Third, Facebook fails to predict or control use of the data it released and fails to protect users who never even knew their data had been released. As TechCrunch sums up at the end, Facebook monetized data customers gave it and released that data on the honor system. Facebook has retained Straws Friedberg auditors to help mop up issues surrounding data use. Facebook's CISO Alex Stamos, rumored to be at loggerheads with colleagues over his push to investigate Russian trolling, will apparently not leave the company, as many outlets had reported, but he has said that his role will change. He tweeted, quote, I'm currently spending more time exploring emerging security risks and working on election security, end quote. Stamos has been through an incident or two. He joined Facebook from Yahoo in 2015. He departed Yahoo over a proposed program to scan incoming email on behalf of government agencies. In addition to commercial, government, and educational institutions, cybersecurity supports a thriving nonprofit sector. The Center for Cyber Safety and Education is one of those nonprofits, and Patrick Craven directs that organization. We're a nonprofit uh, that uh, tries to work globally to teach people about how to be safe on the internet. Um, we do research on cybersecurity, the industry, as well as scholarships that we provide financial aid to young people who are trying to uh, advance or enter into the career of information and cybersecurity. Those are our three big areas that we focus on. So let's talk some about the scholarships there. We have a lot of students who listen to our show. What sorts of opportunities do you have? We provide scholarships for 
information cybersecurity in a broad sense uh, the those who are studying that we offer scholarships specifically for women we offer them for undergrad for graduates for veterans and um, we have a variety of different ways that we try to break it out and in just our seven years that we've been in existence we've we've awarded over a million dollars in financial aid uh, we did nearly uh, 200,000 last year and uh, we're uh, accepting applications right now for the 2018 one, and uh, that'll be closing up over the in the next uh, few weeks. Yeah, we certainly hear about this uh, this skills gap and and uh, the number of open positions that are available. What part do you see your organization playing in in helping to try to close that gap? Well, it's kind of interesting when you when you bring up the gap. That is actually, as I said, research is one of the things that we do. That was our research. Um, we conduct the Global Information Security Workforce Study every couple of years, and uh, we surveyed nearly 20,000 cybersecurity professionals in 170 countries. As far as we know, it's the biggest study ever done uh, on it, and, and we look into those kinds of things, salaries and trends, and, and those are one of the things that we've indicated, and we look we did in the research was finding out um, what are hiring trends, where people see in their companies that they need to do. And that's where we were able to to calculate out that over the next five years, there's going to be a shortage of about 1.8 million is the number that we came up with of those in information and cybersecurity. So for, for, for the college audience, for the young people that listen, even high school kids, um, here's a career that you definitely want to take a look at. You're talking 100% employment with really good salaries. Um, it's it's definitely something to consider. And so we've got this gap. And uh, one of the things that we're trying to do is just encourage people, encourage young people, uh, even even as old people, you know, maybe a career change opportunity to look into uh, cybersecurity as a, as a field of study. And so we're, we're promoting it. But then we also do the scholarships as a way to help. We all know college is getting so expensive. Um, coming out with you know hundreds of thousands of dollars in debt is uh, not what we want to be doing. And so uh, we're trying to do our part to, to help encourage people to study it and, and to be able to afford to enter the field. That's Patrick Craven from the Center for Cyber Safety and Education. One thing that caught our eye on their website is they have the rights to use Garfield the Cat in some of their educational programs. Check it out. You can learn more about their scholarship opportunities on their website. Presidents, ex-presidents, and aspiring prime ministers have had a mixed week. President Putin is having a good week, winning a real squeaker of an election in which he brought home only about three-quarters of the vote. Former French President Nicolas Sarkozy is in police custody. He's being questioned on suspicion of having accepted foreign money, specifically around 50 million euros from late Libyan ruler Muammar Gaddafi, in support of Sarkozy's 2007 campaign. This would violate at least two provisions of French election law, accepting foreign support and exceeding spending limits. 50 million in Libyan euros would have been more than twice the 2007 limit of 21 million euros. Gaddafi's son and heir has been demanding his money back since 2011. In the UK, Labour leader Jeremy Corbyn is rumored to be in trouble with his own party. Labour's front bench is said to be fed up with their leader, particularly over his tepid response to the nerve agent attacks in Salisbury that many feel made him look both reflexively anti-Western and a reliable Russian stooge. 
His Lenin cap has also aroused controversy, with Labour insisting it's not really a Lenin cap and shouldn't be made to look more like a Lenin cap in news photos than it already does. But the need to offer even this defense has been accepted with ill grace. Besides, Russia's not really communist anymore. Let's get up to speed, Mr. Corbin. If you'd like a change of headgear, this Baltimore company will happily send you a Red Sox cap. Finally, we are shocked, shocked to hear that President Putin's re-election may have been aided by ballot stuffing, especially because ballot stuffing seemed in this case hardly necessary. Even more unnecessary than Richard Nixon's itch to send burglars into the Watergate, as if he needed that to beat George McGovern. Still, if the Russians voted early and often, give Vladimir Vladimirovich credit for going that extra mile. Every day, your IAM tech debt grows. Your multi-generational services struggle to work together. Building an identity fabric can fix this. It makes all your identity tooling stronger and allows you to connect any app to any service you want to use. With zero coding, zero maintenance, and zero app downtime. Strata's identity orchestration platform separates the identity logic from your applications, so you can optimize existing IAM tools and manage them in a single control plane. Now, every vendor, standard, and architecture work together. In short, building your identity fabric means you can secure your non-standard apps, keep your complex access policies, retire outdated IDPs, and modernize in record time. So build your fabric with Strata Identity and get rid of tech debt for good. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your identity priorities, and receive a pair of AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations over 5,000 employees. Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. And joining me once again is Chris Poulin. He's the Director of Connected Product Security at Booz Allen Hamilton. Chris, welcome back. Um, we wanted to touch today on some of the evolution of uh, some of these bits of malware, things like Mirai, that um, were being used as botnets for things like DDoS, but they're evolving now. Yeah, that's right. In fact, uh, one of the variants um, that presumably uses some of the same source code of Mirai and takes over control of consumer-based IoT devices is now being used to mine cryptocurrency. So a little bit, um, my take on it is we're seeing the threat actors actually trying different tactics um, to use the same tool. And it, it almost feels like way back in the 90s when there were viruses which would do something mischievous like um, you know, put up a little message that says, you know, the I love you virus, or there's one that said you're a big dumb stupid head or something like that. It didn't do anything destructive, <laughs> but you could tell they were sort of testing um, 
what they could do with viruses, but also presumably the infection rate. And so I think we're seeing the same thing with Mirai, where it's sort of going from something that's a little bit more destructive with DDoS capability to something that's a little bit more lucrative on the financial side, which is cryptocurrency mining. And so, you know, the question is, what's next for these kind of botnets? You know, so what's the end game? And, you know, I, I hate predictions um, yeah. because they're usually wrong and everybody feels compelled to give you them. But, you know, I can see that if we look to the past to inform the future, it's quite possible that the that Mirai or one of its descendants will start to attack more enterprise-connected devices. Um, so go for things that have higher power and maybe use those for crypto mining. In fact, it was an interesting article. I don't know if you saw it. There were people who owned Teslas who were putting uh, crypto mining rigs in the trunks of their car and then using the power of the supercharger stations to uh, to mine it because it takes an enormous amount of energy. So. Oh, wow. I hadn't seen no, I didn't I hadn't seen the electricity angle on that, but that's fascinating and and sadly unsurprising. Yeah. Well, you know, and it it annoys me because I'm a I'm a Tesla owner and so that basically erodes uh, my ability to to use the resource that I've already paid for. So, but I think that, you know, when you start looking at enterprises, they've got access to a lot more electrical power. Um, presumably a lot more compute power. So I wouldn't be surprised if Mirai or something similar were to start to attack enterprises and also cloud uh, computing environments, you know, particularly when you combine uh, recent AWS configuration vulnerabilities that we've seen where the users have not properly locked down their AWS instances. You know, something you and I have touched on before when it comes to these devices and, and um, the botnets taking advantage of them is how... Uh, quite often the operators of the devices, the owners of the devices, don't know that the device is, is doing this dual duty. You know, a camera is still taking pictures while it's doing its DDoSing or its crypto mining. It strikes me as a bit surprising that um, in the crypto mining case that these folks tend to overstay their welcome. They They try to use up all of the processing power rather than staying below the radar and, you know, sort of dialing in a, a lower amount of, uh, of use that perhaps wouldn't be noticed. Yes. Well, I think that works on the consumer side, because if you think about it, most consumers don't know why things don't work half the time. And, the, you know, when a doubt power out and then the, the systems come back and they they work again until they get reinfected, mm. because a lot of these things are not um, persistent because they're IoT devices. It, it depends. And so I think that it would not work in an enterprise environment because there's Hopefully, there's more people that are um, there are actual security admins who are looking at this stuff through things like Sims, et cetera, et cetera. So as long as you've got proper logging and event management, and you've got eyeballs on screen, or at least some good analytics that will raise alerts, um, presumably using up all the compute power would be pretty obvious and and not to the attacker's uh, long-term benefit. I see. All right, Chris Poulin, as always, thanks for joining us. And thank you. Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? With the largest network of trust centers, Vanta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast. Proactively demonstrate security by showcasing key resources like your SOC 2 or ISO 27001 and provide real-time evidence for passing controls. And when a security questionnaire is required, Vanta takes the first pass for you. 
Visit vanta.com slash cyber to take a self-serve tour. That's vanta.com slash cyber. And that's the Cyberwire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. And for professionals and cybersecurity leaders who want to stay abreast of this rapidly evolving field, sign up for CyberWire Pro. It'll save you time and keep you informed. Listen for us on your Alexa smart speaker, too. The CyberWire podcast is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing CyberWire team is Elliot Peltzman, Peru Prakash, Stefan Vaziri, Kelsey Bond, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Iben, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here tomorrow. And now, a word from our sponsor, Zscaler, the leader in cloud security. Cyber attackers are using AI in creative ways to compromise users and breach organizations. In a security landscape where you must fight AI with AI, the best AI protection comes from having the best data. Zscaler has extended its zero-trust architecture with powerful AI engines that are trained and tuned by 500 trillion daily signals. Learn more about Zscaler Zero Trust plus AI to prevent ransomware and AI attacks. Experience your world secured. Visit zscaler.com slash zero trust AI.